Welcome to the next chapter of As the Story Grows. I'm Brian Patton. This week, I'm stoked to have Hollowfront guitarist Dakota Alvarez join the podcast. Hollowfront will release The Price of Dreaming this Friday, May 27th on UNFD Records. Dakota talks about the bus accident that kicked off the band's last tour, the metalcore scene in Grand Rapids, and how he ended up in Hollowfront, and what The Price of Dreaming means to him. Dakota brought an energy to this chat that I loved, and this was a conversation that reminds me no matter age, race, religion, or sexual orientation, there's a connection in this music community. So I hope you guys love getting to know Dakota Alvarez from Hollowfront. life i figure at this point in 2022 after everything we've been through the last two years like you can't just be like oh well shit went the wrong way like right what what are you doing right <laughs> i got a phone call from a, a tyler and he was just like hey did you forget what time it was and i was like oh shit <laughs> well, how, well how are you doing man how how is life it's it's been crazy yeah. um just came home about like two weeks ago so getting more acclimated to like uh the way regular life is at home has been yeah. has been really interesting um especially because like obviously the world doesn't just stop even though we're on the road so yeah. coming everything kind of just figuring out like where i fit into the mix of things has been been fun yeah oh uh, we we like um had a lot of stuff happen on this last tour too i don't know if you'd heard about a lot of it but um, no we had a uh, first weekend um, Tyler ended up passing a kidney stone. Oh man. Yep. Had to take him to the hospital for that. Um, we ended up having a bus accident where we got hit by a dump truck Shit. out in Oregon. Yep. We sent our merch guy home because he ended up, uh, separating his clavicle from his AC, tearing all the ligaments in his collarbone. And basically it was, instead of it, like looking like this right here, it was like this uh. popping out and he just got surgery this week. So oh, man. Yeah, we had that the first week of tour, which means it was like the first week of March. So it took yeah. this to get that surgery. It was horrible. But um, he's doing a lot better. And then, uh, yeah, we've just been trying to get back to life ever since. Wow. Wow. That's not ominous at all. <laughs> Dude, it's wild, but it's also cool because I, I remember telling them that I wanted to write a book after this tour because uh, that that story of the, the bus accident in particular, we... We ended up being like half of us being asleep during this bus accident. Seven o'clock in the morning while we were in like a place called, I think, Sutherland or Roseburg, Oregon. And um, I remember just the the noise of the crash. And I woke up midair because I got launched out of my bunk. Oh. And I caught myself before I fell over. But like it was immediately followed by we saw Davian, uh, a merch guy, laying on the floor and he just looked in shock. Oh. And um no blood or nothing so i was like okay so he's fine for now i just tossed my blankets on him called the police and they were they were really quick to it they showed up within like five minutes and um when they got him out because they went under the bus to check him out they got medical attention immediately i saw the the little bone part of his oh. collarbone right there and i was like oh my god what happened because i was asleep the whole time yeah 
we were told that this dude was um, unregistered to his dump truck and he he basically they've seen it before where they try to work under the, the radar they don't want um, anybody knowing that they don't have the license because they're just trying to get a project done mm-hmm. um, but he ended up uh, getting out with it because we turned left and ended up in front of him um, so we had to take liability for it but uh, we immediately got into a U-Haul the police were nice enough to help move the trailer out of the way. We got into a parking lot and then we got a U-Haul and we were sleeping in that U-Haul um, until we got to like a hotel later that night in Portland. And by the time us getting to uh, this hotel, uh, we just kind of wanted to just chill out. So much had happened within that day and we lost so much in that bus accident that yeah. we we're just, let's take the night off. Immediately in the morning, we tried to rent uh, a new van from Bandigo and like from other places. And unfortunately they were all sold out. People had already rented all of them. So I was like, of course that'd be our luck. <laughs> um, we, we get through the, the process of calling a bunch of places, finding nothing. And then everyone's morale is pretty shot at this point. Cause we're like, we're missing last night's show in Portland and we're missing tonight's show in Boise. What's going on. Um, I was pretty hell bent on like not sitting still. So I made as many phone calls to people as possible. And we ended up getting our managers on board and they said that they'd help get us some money to get a new vehicle. And I was like, okay, how soon could we do that? We like, we could do that today. And he's like, you should get a GoFundMe started just to make sure that like, if there's any other expenses, like, cause we had to get Davian out to the airport, had to get Ubers. Um, he's like, as long as you get your expenses covered, we'll, we'll cover the vehicle portion. So we uh, go upstairs to our hotel room. I'm talking to the guys and I was like, all right, elaborate plan time. Davian had to go to Seattle. All right. Before he could go back home to Michigan. And that's like a 45 minute flight. I was like, hypothetically speaking, what if half of us went to Seattle to get a new van? Half of us stayed here in Portland. And then we get the van, people in Portland go meet halfway, and then we just connect the trailer with whatever van we end up purchasing. And we end up playing the show wherever that is, too. <clears throat> they said it sounds crazy, but if we could pull off at least getting the van to the trailer, that'd be great. <clears throat> um, we all find the same van. We're all looking online for vans in Seattle, and we find the same van, each of us, without talking about it. So we're like, that has to be the one call the guy for it, um, make sure that they have it. And then we ended up purchasing train tickets the next morning. So we, <laughs> we left like seven o'clock in the morning to get on this train. We're headed to Seattle. The guys immediately wake up and start driving to Spokane, Washington. Cause we're like, let's play the show in Spokane. Um, we pull up to the train station and the guy comes and picks us up in the van. Thank God he did. Cause yeah. we got to see what it looked like. And also the, the bank closed in like 20 minutes. Oh shit. Yeah, so, so we looked it to the bank, got the cashier's check for it, made sure that everything worked, checked the frame, checked the tires, checked everything. And we ended up purchasing that van, getting the title transferred, getting the insurance put on it and everything, and um, booked it all the way to Spokane and showed up to the show 30 minutes before it started. Oh, wow. Yep. And everyone was so sure that we weren't going to be able to play it because we just got into that bus accident in like yeah. two days before. But we played that show and that was probably the most adrenaline i've ever had in me wow <laughs> it sounds like you guys didn't lose any like gear or have like guitars break or merchandise no. get all fucked up or something like we got so lucky i think the most damage that happened to the inside of the trailer was everything got shoved to the back so it looked like the door was broken but it was just mm. much weight up against it and uh some of the totes ended up cracking but everything else was perfectly intact man 
that's awesome. Not that the like losing a van is a big expense, but like if right. like an amp or a guitar breaks in half, you're just like fuck it. Like <laughs> uh, you're like oh, goes our money. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's fine. I see the Metallica flag in the background. You think about oh, bus accidents and how like bad it could have gone. Yeah, uh, you get Cliff Burton like PTSD or yeah. PTSD because we we ended up uh, when we were played. We came as Romans last fall. Um, we were on the road meeting all the crew and there's a, there's a man that was part of the crew for, we came as Romans and he, he gets called tissue. I love, <laughs> he's incredible. And, um, he told us that he was in that bus accident and all the stuff that they had to put in his like spinal cord, his vertebrae and stuff. Oh yeah. Like all the little, and I was like, dude, the fact that you're still doing this after going through that, it's incredible. That's like, yeah. so yeah, that's good. Wild. Wild. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Glad everyone in the band was okay, and yeah, your your merch yeah. guy sounds like he's all right, recovering. <laughs> I'm better. He's he's like in a sling, and uh, he's got a knee brace going on. He ended up having to pull himself like the side door got crushed, and he had to pull himself out the side door. Oh man, mm. yeah. he, he's he's really lucky to be alive. And honestly, I feel like the dude who was driving that dump truck's even luckier that he didn't kill one person or all of us. Yeah. The first of a story to kick it off. <laughs> first chapter of my book already. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Rewind, are you uh, Grand Rapids born and raised? Um, I'm actually uh, Bay Area, California born and raised. Okay. I was born at, over at Stanford University over in Palo Alto. And then I was out there for maybe like a year. Yeah. And then the, my parents, well, my mom ended up moving back here to Michigan where she was born and raised. And I was in Muskegon for a long period of time and then um, ended up going through my life and figuring out what I wanted to do with music and ended up joining a hollow front just a few years ago. That's awesome. That's awesome. What was, uh, growing up like, um, it was, it was interesting. Cause like I was, uh, I was a bigger kid. Um, I grew up real chunky. They call me baby pun. And, uh, I, I didn't know where I kind of fit into the mix of things, especially like, um, being uh brown too and i was in a lot of uh school systems that didn't have a lot of diversity going mm -hmm. on so i got treated a little interestingly there's some some uh some bullies here and there but it makes you grow a backbone if anything um lets you get tough skin and then and i ended up uh, going to like an arts academy from like third grade all the way through eighth grade and that really like jump-started my interest and passion for music because i was exposed to it all the time we used to do this thing at the end of the year called um, Festival of the Arts. And uh, that was a whole week dedicated strictly to arts. And we'd have different guests come in, whether that be like uh, musicians. We had yo-yoers. Um, I don't know if that's the correct term. Uh, 
<laughs> we had people that like specialized in sciences, like with a, a space, they would do like these giant, like um, indoor globes, like tent spaces where we get to experience these movies, but you felt like you were in space while you're watching. Um, and it was really neat. It, it, it gave you a lot of different options and perspectives of like where arts kind of fits in his career paths. Yeah. Cause the people who did them full time. And I was lucky enough to, um, choose the path of doing band stuff. I got, I got to play saxophone back then. And I did that all the way through high school. I joined a jazz band and kind of just took off from there. Originally I thought I was going to do like science growing up because yeah. academics was a big part of that Academy too. But, um, it ended up being more music oriented, I had a passion. <laughs> yeah. Where's the splinter from playing saxophone and jazz band to playing guitar and metalcore? <laughs> Dude. It, it's wild because like I could read some music, but it takes me a minute to like transcribe it. And like, I, I feel like with saxophone, you have to have your whole soul put into it yeah. for it to sound good. So like when I started playing guitar, I was like, oh, I get to be real expressive with this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to we got to do a lot of fun stuff and got get a little more creative, especially once I ended up getting my own recording equipment. I was able to like, okay, have we're going to add like more of a, a jazz beat here. We're going to get some different, different vibes going. We're going to get a little dance beat going on. I put a saxophone solo in one song. Cause I was like, fuck it. I have it here. <laughs> nice. nice. That's right. Yep. That's right. Well, what got you into heavy music and like that genre? Um, oddly enough, it was uh, like guitar hero. Okay. Uh, Yep. Guitar Hero 3 was like huge for me growing up. I didn't have those like play guitars. I had to play on a controller, Uh, (laughs) but like watching all that stuff on the stages, I thought was really dope. And the music choices were really cool. Mm -hmm. And one by Metallica in my curse by Killswitch Engage. So once I ended up getting a guitar, um, I tried like learning every day, like, how do I, how do I get to the chugging? Cause that sounds nuts. And then, um, once I started learning the techniques of how to chug, how to play like more prettier chords, um, I got exposed to Hey John, What's Your Name Again by Devil Wears Prada. And that was like the staple because I grew up thinking metal music was the devil's music because I <laughs> had household. And when I, the Devil Wears Prada, I was like, no, nah, see, it's a Christian band. I guess <laughs> that is like my argument. And it was heavy as hell too. So it just was game changing from there. Once I grew up, uh, those bands seemed to grow up too and started dropping the, the Christian metal label and just kept to like a metal label. Yeah. But it, it, it was game changing. It was the perfect argument for all my, uh, grandparents that went to church every Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. What was the scene like there in Grand Rapids? I know there are other bands, uh, label mates of yours and sleep waker. And like, so what was the scene like for you to dive in there? Yeah. So oddly enough, it was like, there was a lot of bands growing up with, um, I was in a different band. It's like a side project of mine called Alambatol. And, um, it was like a full, full five piece band, but we got to play with, uh, Amora, Amora's still around. We got to play with, um, I was in a different band called I'm William Cutting at the time. Uh, that band was around too, with the guys from like Drifter and Drifter was, um, some of those members were in Dead Flower. They're like a pop, pop like alternative kind of band right now in Michigan, um, and that's where uh, our drummer Cody was into. 
He was in a band called Anchor's Calling. Uh, it was interesting because like you see a lot of the same guys at every show, but it was either they were playing it or they were there supporting other friends mm-hmm. that were playing. It. So it was really inclusive. Um, and eventually you'd see like as bands started dissolving, the ones that ended up making it were just mixtures of old bands mm-hmm. that were in the area. So it still felt like the same crew. Um, Sleep Waker ended up being like a mixture of like, uh, there was a band called John Killed Courtney and it had <laughs> ran it and um then jake uh jake was in uh seraphim he ended up joining seraphim first and then ended up joining sleep waker after um it it was it was trippy getting to see where some of these people started off with and where they ended up with yeah it really was inspiring too to know that our little local scene ended up being like a bunch of different people who were successful in what they wanted to be but in ways that you weren't necessarily anticipating because growing up, you're like, yo, bro, your band's going to blow up. This shit's incredible. And we're still <laughs> like 15 kids, but still those 15 kids went off. So, yeah. But seeing it in real life where you're like, no, these guys actually blew up. Like yeah. it, it's, it's really dope. How'd you uh, end up in hollow front? Um, that side project, Alain Vital, um, we ended up playing a, a set over in Muskegon. And it was our guitarist, our other guitarist's uh, last show. It was his farewell show. And we needed bands to open up for it and play with it just to just to keep it like really energetic. And mm-hmm. Hollow Front never played a show. And I was like, this would be the perfect opportunity because I just heard a single that just dropped. It was called Speaking in Tongues off the record, Home Record. And I was like, these guys would be great. So they opened it. They were really crazy. People went hard for them. Um, they had uh, Cody, who was in Anchors Calling before. No, he wasn't in Anchor's Calling. Yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> My brain's all over the place. But um, they they ended up like staying in touch with um, us after that. And then when that band ended, ended up like disbanding, I made a parody song to keep myself busy. And I made fun of all the local bands in my area. <laughs> uh, and Hollow Front was one of them. But the way I, I did it was I messaged uh, everyone in those bands that I roasted in the song just to make sure that they knew it wasn't personal. It was just yeah. me having and uh, I messaged Tyler, and Tyler said, "Yeah, if you wanna, if you wanna post that, like, it's totally fine as long as you join the band." And I thought he was, joking. and then he was just like, "I mean, I am, but I'm not." So we, I ended up filling in, well, saying I was gonna be a fill-in, and I went to learn the songs. And then after I saw them perform with Sleepwaker over at the Pyramid Scheme in Grand Rapids, I saw how, I guess, infectious the 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 crowd energy was because I, I, I feed off the crowd and mm-hmm. watching people reacted to the music hollow front had was like insane. Yeah. Uh, so instead of failing in, I was just like, how would I just join? Let's, let's go from here. And it kind of just took off from there. That was right around the point where uh, still life was coming out. And yeah. uh, we, we just filmed the music video for still life before announcing that the album was like really about to drop. And then right when the album dropped, uh, I was still was on the cusp of whether it was going to be super serious or not, because a few members ended up leaving. But then uh, that was the point where we ended up getting Brandon as our bassist. And then we ended up getting Ryan Kirby as our manager. Oh, nice. Yeah. So everything kind of like happened within a range of like six, seven months. It was weird. That's cool. That's rad. So did you uh, write and record on Still Life? Uh, No, I didn't. I was. 
actually there at the at Lee's house while they were recording it, and I was listening <laughs> doing it. And uh, my mind was just like, this is trippy because I remember their first EP sounding a lot heavier mm-hmm. thing, and I got to hear Still Life, and I was like, this is like in a really emotionally invented track like it's very melodic and softer it still has the heavy tones but it wasn't and i i loved it yeah so when i joined um it felt weird being a part of it knowing that i didn't have like any touch on the album but that made us want to record new music that much sooner too yeah yeah you guys put out loose threads uh june of 2020 was there any point where you were just like maybe we should wait to get this out here or was it just like well it's done and nobody else is releasing new music right now so maybe it's a chance to have our name shine a little more yeah oddly enough like we um we were sitting on the album for i think two years at that point oh man yeah it was horrible because like we we recorded it and then um we sent it to ryan and ryan was just like okay we're gonna we're gonna sit on this so that way we could see what we could do with it like whether that be a self-release or whether that be like we released through a label we're gonna see what we got so we were we were out there talking to um uh, a few different labels to see if they had any interest and some people had interest but like it wasn't like interest interest mm-hmm. it was kind of oh yeah we'll keep you guys in mind um and then uh, COVID happened and kind of sent everything into a flurry. We had, ended up having to cancel like three of the DIY tours that we had. <laughs> um, we were on dynamic talent at that point too. So they were, they were putting together like a collection of stuff. And of course, right when everything's starting to pop off is when we got to cancel everything. Yeah. yeah always. So we, we messaged Ryan and we were just like, Hey, if we can't do any touring and that kind of, puts like a, a knife in our side here what if we just drop the album to compensate for it and at first he was just like hesitant about it because he wanted he wanted to see what the what the best offer we could get out of it but then he was just like no that's the move we got to do that yeah so we ended up putting together uh this plan where we dropped like three music videos with with the album and it was like a week after each other so that way it was like constant constant hype and um once we released the track loose threads was when things kind of just really sent into a flurry. Um, we ended up getting the most pre-orders we had ever seen ourselves because we, we did the whole, the whole release ourselves. And, uh, that's when we started getting like a label offers and we ended up acquiring a Corey, um, Corey, uh, manages fit for a King, silent planet, day seeker era. He, he manages a lot of different bands getting someone like him, on our team was like really pivotal in what helped progress like the rest of the the year for us and the rest of our careers, honestly. Um, Knowing that he was there behind it and he was kind of like pushing it that much harder to the realm of the industry that we hadn't touched yet. um, It, it made loose threads feel like it was the biggest thing that we had ever experienced. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that, if a band wasn't taking advantage of the fact that COVID was putting a wrench in people being able to see live music, then a lot of bands were going to dissolve with a lot of the venues that were dissolving too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
the only goal that we had in mind when we had that was just we gotta we gotta stay busy. If people can't see us live, then we need to push content. And that's when we ended up just dropping as many videos, many photos, whatever we could with loose threads. Yeah. Yeah. Was it difficult to try to at some point you're like, all right, we put music videos out for every song. We have like remixes. <laughs> Is it just like, okay, now what? Was there ever that point where you're just like, okay, we're out of things to release or give people like <laughs> Part of me was just like, at, where's the where's the cap on this? But the mm-hmm. other part of me was just like, I, I took what I didn't like from the last experience and was just like, we should expand on that. Like uh, when we did Loose Threads, we were just like, okay, we played this in a house. It looks really cinematic. And we had like a lot of B-roll shots to fit it, make it storyline. Uh, once we started doing that, I was like, okay, well, let's let's try to play with some metalcore tropes here. Just to get people feeling a little more familiar with us even though our sounds like we have a space within the genre, but we don't have like a, a familiar aura to us yet. Yeah. So that started doing like um, the infinity room where we did wearing thin. Um, we started doing those uh, abandoned warehouses when we did serendipity. Um, we were just trying to make it as like as metal Corey as possible while also having like some sort of uh, authenticity to it. We wanted to be more creative with the fact that you were in some place that people had seen before um afflicted we ended up doing in a garage it didn't look like it was a garage though because we had our buddy ned ned filming it properly and then it just made us more excited to create because we were just like these are easy places to make look fine and if you can make those easy places uh look like huge and impactful and like you could basically do like a whole onslaught of like diy videos with just a small group of people go somewhere and you could reuse the same areas if you know how to make the angles and the lighting look different. Like, mm-hmm. um, so it made, it made getting photos really fun. It made, um, uh, coming up with videos a lot more fun. And then that's when we got to start experimenting with like, it's COVID. What, what do people want? If they can't see a live. Let's do a live stream. Mm-hmm. Um, if people can't, can't see you, um, perform or get tabs or something, let's do some playthrough videos. Let's, let's change the atmosphere about it. And, whatever we could do to get people excited about the music again and make it feel like it's, it's fresh when you hear it. We tried, we even did reimagined. Um, yeah. We started that with still life, but like doing it with uh, loose threads added like some, some, I like symphonic feels like yeah. wavy. And uh, I feel like the more you play with the music, the more you allow yourself to feel less restrictive, the, the more, I guess immersive you're going to feel when something gets dropped. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of symphonic, have you listened to the architects live at Abbey road with the symphony? Oh my God. It fucking goes so hard. Oh, <laughs> Abbey road is just like, I love playing with those plugins just because yeah. they're so rich, but like hearing them play with like the whole symphony, it made those, those drops and those really like soft melodic parts, just like, you could close your eyes and get a whole vision of a story. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an, an incredible record. That's I'm gonna say right here. <laughs> Metallica's S and M. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great too. Yeah, I love <laughs> more of that. More of that in metal. <laughs> yeah. uh, like the guitars and bass and drums all the time. Add some sauce. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you said uh, this was around the time label started picking up interest in you guys. What led you? choosing to go with unified 
Um, they felt the most like, um, I guess, personable and like earnest to our goals. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's it's about the business and what it, people can do for each other at the end of the day. But um, UNFD ended up just making it very, I guess, personalized to us. They they made sure what we were getting out of it was going to be tailored to the style of marketing and tailored to the uh, the drive that we're trying to put towards it. They know that we want to be creative with our videos. They know that we want to be um, a little more uh, creative about how we market ourselves, too. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've always had this little thing about us where, uh, each album that we do, we want to make it easy for people to get art from because art inspires different forms of art, not just music. So people can get tattoos, they can do drawings, they could get different types of arts. We could get some crazy shirts out of it. So they were on board with, um, practicing a lot of different marketing techniques with this next album. We ended up getting like, a, a lot of color coordinating, um, a lot of play off of the the Medusa design and integrating that into like uh, the music videos or like just like the the streaming videos themselves. It, it just feels it feels cohesive with it, and they were they were really on board with it. They feel like they feel like they're part of the family. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Did you guys talk to like the Sleep Waker guys to like get <laughs> their vibe about the label? Or um, we ended up getting onto UNFD before Sleep Waker ended up getting on there, oh, wow. and then. Um, Frankie was working close with, uh, Francesca, which is our label manager over at UNFD, um, because he did all of our designs and he also helped with, um, a lot of our personal marketing. So he was already in close talks with, uh, Francesca and ended up working out best for them too. It, it felt kind of funny because like now that, um, once we found out that they got signed to UNFD too, I was like, we really put in Grand Rapids on the map. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Already had bands like still remains and like, um, I see stars who came as Romans come out of Michigan, but like Mm -hmm. to, to see two bands like on a, on a rising modern day, uh, label, like independent and crush it, like coming in right out the gate is, is dope. Cause one, like we talked about earlier, it's nice seeing local homies blow up, but two, it's, nice to see grand rapids michigan blow up yeah yeah for sure that's awesome how soon did you guys get into writing after you signed you guys did the re-release of loose threads with unfd but like how soon was it like okay now it's time for new music especially since you sat on that record for so long yeah so the 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 signing um point was like we we agreed on it and decided on it back i think like july or august of the same year that we dropped loose threads So it was only a couple minutes, like a couple months before we ended up sitting on that. And then um, the announcement was made in November of that year. Uh, and they wanted a, they wanted a new song. They wanted a new song to release with it. And it worked out because the second we signed, we we're just like, let's, let's start working on some demos and stuff just to like have a rough idea for what we want the next record to sound like. And one of the songs that was completely finished already was Wearing Thin. And we sent that to them and they're like, dude, this is awesome. Ended up using that as our uh, signing announcement uh, song. And from there, they were just like, okay, how soon would you guys want to record? We can get you in like this spring. And we're like, let's go this spring. Who are we going to? And we had a few options and we ended up um, going with Atrium. They did uh, Era, like Moss to Flames, 
August Burns Red. Like they they felt they felt like they were gonna make our music yeah. feel huge. So we were back in the studio after we were announced in November. We went in February. And we were there from like middle of February until like the end of March, closer to April. Whole month sleeping over in the middle of a, a studio that looked like the 80s studios yeah. with all the weird colors on the wall. We had air mattresses in the middle of the, the drum room. It it was a it was a pigsty, honestly, because <laughs> yeah, you have five guys sleeping together in one little room and we don't have anywhere else to go. Yeah. But um it made the songwriting really interesting too because we were we were always near each other. We all had our space if we needed it, but like all the ideas and stuff that we were coming up with um, from eight, it was like from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. was work time. That's when we'd be working on the album itself. But every other time was kind of like we would set up our computers in our own microphones and we would track ideas that we all had. So instead of it being like uh, Tate and I writing lyrics on our own times all the time, it'd be like we'd write lyrics, come together, and then we'd um, run our ideas by each other. Mm-hmm. make sure everyone thought it was like the catchiest or the most hookiest or it felt right for the part and it it felt nice to get other people's perspective when you're in that because when you get in your own head and you get stuck on a part sometimes something you think sounds real shitty is something simplistic enough to hook yeah yeah so it was nice to have like four other people five other people be in the room and like adding to those ideas and then in the morning we don't have to worry about them because we already made it last night record is called the price of dreaming outside of being a song title does that encompass a theme that runs through this record or yes so that that theme is more so like uh i wanted to write music about stuff that we were feeling personally at the time i wanted to make it very raw and one thing that all of us were kind of feeling because we had just signed with unfd and it was during the pandemic we're like there's gonna be a lot of shit that you got to give up in order to live this lifestyle at this Mm -hmm. point so there's no reliability in it as much as there was pre-COVID where touring was happening all the time. There was a sure way of streaming and stuff to like keep you afloat. Um, Now it's like venues are dissolving. Um, People aren't as able to go out to shows because you require vaccinations, this, this, and that. There's a lot of politics behind it. So I wanted to encompass like, what, what is it like to live your dream during a time where your dream seems like the most like, pipe dream that it could be mm-hmm. and the thing that came up out of it was we got this song that we were doing in the morning tate said i don't know what to write about uh can you write a chorus for it and then i'll write around it so i was sitting in my uh my air mattress just listening to the song back and forth and i was just thinking about like how much i miss my family back at home how much how much I'm going to miss them if like all the touring stuff comes back. And like, if I really want it bad enough, I'm going to have to come to terms that if I get the opportunity to go, then I'm just going to go. And it was, um, it was, I'd, I'd have to sacrifice that. I'd have to be willing to let that go and come back home to it eventually. And I wrote, uh, the only thing I'm allowed to keep is the hope that they'll forgive me for leaving. And then I was like, 
what what can wrap this up? What feels natural? And I was like, the lonely life's the price of dreaming, hmm. honestly. Because I, you are alone. You're by yourself. You you have to deal with that on your own. Nobody can feel that out for you. And I felt like it was kind of beautiful at the same time, while it was also kind of painful. And that kind of like embodied what a lot of the songs were about. They're about like loss, sacrifice, um, love, um, pain. Like it, it, a lot of stuff that just coincided with things people normally take for granted, but we can't take for granted anymore because you might quickly lose it. The pandemic wasn't planned and neither was any of this. So each of the songs from like treading water, just keeping your head above water, working as hard as you can trying to mm-hmm. get through uh, to the price of dreaming to heritage. Cause we were dealing with a lot of like the uh, George Floyd, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Georgia thing, like the, the runner in Georgia, it's, it was a lot of stuff going on and it was a lot of stuff that we had personal feelings for at the time. Yeah. 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 All that makes sense. Besides, because you've been out on the road outside, like the crazy first week in the accident, like what was, how have the shows been and like the response and like, it's been nuts. Like I've always wanted to like share my experience from on stage with everyone else, just because like when I watch bands, it's always like, glowing it's insane it's it's huge the the sound fills the room you're in your own headspace but like from the stage and you see all the faces i i feel like if you take a second back to just enjoy it and think about what it really is like these are a bunch of people that like worked hard for their money and they they go day in and day out trying to make their life Mm -hmm. like just work and be sustainable and they still took the time out and the money out to spend this moment with you yeah. And you're, you're their moment, you're their day, you're their, the moment in the month that they were looking forward to and watching them just bounce and go hard the entirety of the time, just, it made every night worth it. Even the ones that were like 300 kids, 200 kids, like just seeing them come out and still have the time of their life made, made me like ecstatic. Yeah. <laughs> You always get those shows where some people will be a little harder to move, but once they get going, it's just like, it's, it's a snowball effect. They're going to have fun for the whole night. Um, The show that we did in Worcester with uh, the like Moss Polaris tour, uh, when we crossed over for that was like prime example for kids that hadn't seen shows in God knows how long. And we had a security guard that day tell us, he was like, that show you guys put on with We Came as Romans when you came through here was my first show back in like two and a half years. He's like, and I cried that night because I, mm. it felt so good to see all these people. And then when they saw all, all those people there that night uh, with like Moss and Polaris when they mixed with us, um, seeing all of them stay there for eight bands was insane. And yeah. from the very first one to they were moving. Yeah. It was just like a, a slow growth. It was everyone was moving, wearing out all their energy for like eight, nine hours straight. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, this record comes out May 27th. What's the rest of 2022 look like for you guys? We got that record dropping. Um, we got a tour with August Burns Red. We came as Romans and oh, Void nice. of Vision here in July. Um, we're playing Blue Ridge Fest in September. Um, we're getting another show set up sometime during the summertime to play with some buddies here in the Midwest. Um, and from there, we're kind of just playing it by ear. We might have a European, uh, t- 
tour here that we're looking for within the next like 12 months. Otherwise, see us around playing those videos online, putting out more content. And then if you can catch us on tour, that's the time to do it. That's awesome. That lineup for Blue Ridge Fest is ridiculous. Yo, I saw saliva and three doors down on it. And I was <laughs> like, is this going to happen? Hail <laughs> and kill switch engaged. And I was like, I'm about to live my childhood. It's, it's wild. <laughs> it's like, what, like Demon Hunter, like. Yeah, they got red on Yeah, like Gojira. <laughs> like, Jesus. what is happening? <laughs> like, Quar. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Uh, my my best excited. friend is like, we got to go. And I'm like, yeah, we got to go. <laughs> I, I told my girlfriend and my family, I was just like, yo, we plan on going there like a day early just to watch. Yeah. Uh, like, and they're like, oh, we're coming Uh, this record for us is um, very intimate, very raw, and very personal. Uh, every song, if you get the opportunity to check out the lyrics and try to like open your mind as to where we were coming from while we were writing this, it means the world to us and I feel like could also help us all connect through music. Uh, each song, despite it being heavy in nature, is also like um, very very emotionally driven and i feel like that will translate live to if anyone ever gets the opportunity to see these songs performed here in the future um and mad love to everybody who's been able to support us all the way up to this point and beyond and can't wait to share this with everyone For listening to As the Story Grows. Our intro music was written and composed by Jeremy Hunt. The As the Story Grows theme is by Bob Nana. If you like what you hear, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating and review. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can join us at patreon.com slash as the story grows. Be a part of our community and join the ongoing conversation over on Discord. If you enjoy this episode, share it on social media with your friends. Much appreciated, and thanks for listening. I'll never